Autonomous cars aren't the future, they are the present. And as more and more companies invest in the world of autonomous transportation, a market for a very specific kind of tech has grown bigger as well. Junpei is the CEO of Septon, which makes LiDAR systems. LiDAR is an essential piece of technology that measures distance at a rate that is accurate down to the millimeter. So if your autonomous car is driving along and an object flies in front of you, the LiDAR system can not only detect it, but also measure how far away it is and the rate at which you are moving toward each other. On this episode of IT Visionaries, June explains all of that and more, and he dives into how LiDAR will become even more necessary in the future. Enjoy the conversation. This podcast is sponsored by Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, June, what's going on? Well, we're in sunny California, enjoying the weather as well as the high tech in Silicon Valley. Indeed, as are we. So we're we're just in uh, in Palo Alto. Uh, you you guys are in, uh, or you all are in Saratoga. No, we actually are in San Jose, the very central part of San Jose, First Street. Oh, wonderful. Um, well, today we're going to be talking about a little bit about your background, but a ton about what you're building at Septon. We're going to talk about lidar uh, and get pretty deep into it. But first, how did you get into technology? Well, that's from childhood. Uh, I don't remember what my age was when I first looked at a prison that split the sunlight into a rainbow. And that was my first impression of an optical device. And ever since then, I wanted to study optics and technology. And indeed, uh, that's where I ended up uh, studying optics at Stanford, uh, eventually graduating with a PhD in that field. And after that, is basically staying in the Silicon Valley and uh, work on it for, you know, until now. You know, it's funny. We have had a couple PhDs turned founders kind of in the Stanford ecosystem on the show recently. And I wonder how much of that, you know, willingness to start a startup comes from just being in and around it. Did you did you feel the pull or did you kind of just see that there was a huge problem that needed to be solved? Oh, I certainly felt the pull. Uh, a lot of my friends, I was the same class as Jerry Young who started Yahoo. So I'm actually a very late starter. There was a lot of pull. Uh, even Elon Musk spent uh, you know, a very short time over there. So uh, plenty of friends and classmates uh, started their own companies. Uh, some of them made really big. And there's always an urge that if you're graduating from Stanford, especially in the uh, electrical engineering department, you need to do something, uh, start a company and uh, make a difference uh, out there. So yeah, it was a lot of pull. Flash forward to you know, what you're doing now. Can you tell us a little bit about Septon for our listeners who might not know? Well, Septon started uh, close to three years ago and we make LIDARs, this very hot new device uh, for uh, autonomous vehicles. LIDAR as a device was not known to everybody until perhaps 10 years ago. It used to be a very high-end scientific device uh, measuring, for example, the distance between the Earth and the Moon. 
And only after DARPA Grand Challenge 2005-ish, uh, LiDAR became uh, a default sensor for autonomous vehicles. Septon, when we started it, there was only a couple of LiDAR vendors uh, in the entire world. Uh, and uh, we actually uh, noticed uh, a very big gap in the market for a high reliability, low cost device. And that's how we started. Uh, here we are, fast forward to today, uh, we're actually already shipping uh, lots of products uh, based on the original LiDAR technology. We had the folks from Alan Amici from TE Connectivity in here uh, on the show not too long ago. Um, and we've talked to, in the past, folks from Lyft and Lime, um, people from you know, the CEO of Proterra, Ryan Popple, talking about the types of things that they're working on. A lot of times the focus for autonomous is on the folks with the vehicles, but obviously the most critical component is, or one of the most critical components is LIDAR. Why do you think that there's kind of not as much emphasis on this particular piece of the technology when it's so critical? Well, there's a very natural analogy to a human being that the vehicle, the drivetrain uh, itself, uh, the wheels and the engines are like your legs. And LiDAR is like your eyes. And then the computing system is like your brains. So when you talk about a human being, you're gonna talk about their eyes and legs, uh, but uh, you're gonna talk a whole lot more about their brains. So there's the vehicle-centric portion of it. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you can understand how important eyes are for human beings. Uh, is indeed, uh, this is uh, by far the most important piece of sensor for a autonomous vehicle. I love that analogy. And to think about the fact that, you know, we talk about the rise of IoT, we talk about smart devices. When you think of, you know, a car as back in the day, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, if we're going to call it a dumb device, maybe we call it a not smart device just because it sounds a little less mean. Um, the idea that cars didn't see, the only person who saw what was coming was the driver. Now that they have the ability to see, what does this change from a technology perspective? How does that map to uh, the other things that are going on, collecting data, uh, sharing that data, all of those different pieces? Yeah, actually, if you can allow me to start a little earlier than that, you know, when I was a student at Stanford some 20 years ago, I used to drive between my parents and school that's between LA and San Francisco. So this uh, about six hour drive, uh, 20 some years ago, uh, you still once in a while you see a car broken down on the side. Uh, with the uh, engine smoking or flat tire, whatever it has. There's some cars just on road five. And nowadays I make that drive again, you hardly see any car breaking down on the road. So I give some long thought as to why is the case. Yeah, the cars are made more reliable, but they still break down. And one of the key things that made people don't just break down in the middle of nowhere is actually are the sensors. 20 some years ago, you hardly have much of a sensor other than you know maybe just an engine temperature sensor. Now, not only you have that, you have the tire sensors, uh, you have uh, the, the sensors that actually measure the internal temperature of the cabin. 
the oil pressure, everything is actually sensed. Well before some big trouble is about to happen, these sensors will give you alarm. You have check engine light going off and you have other things uh, that prompt you to don't go anymore, just go to a garage and have things fixed. So these are the things I personally have experienced uh, on my car as well that prevented uh, me from having a breakdown case in the middle of California. So this is uh, the sensors in the past decade has brought us a tremendous wealth of data that enabled us to function better. Uh, going forward, uh, you know, we just talked about all these sensors that actually measure the inside of the car whether it's tire pressure or the engine temperature. Uh, going forward, we will have uh, plenty of sensor that actually measures the environment, the, uh, the environmental parameters around the car. That is the obstacles, the road conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And these will bring another wealth of uh, information to the automobile that we're so accustomed to and give us uh, plenty of benefit in every aspect of from driving to comfort. Outside of the automotive industry, what are some of the other use cases for why LiDAR is going to be so important going into the future? It seems like we're on just the very tip of the iceberg in terms of what this could mean for, you know, everyday use for, you know, billions of people on the earth. That's that's a wonderful question. Um I will start with answering that question with a one example. Uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with a security expert uh, that is setting up a uh, perimeter for a high security facility, you know, not in this country, somewhere in a more contentious, uh, unsafe country. And uh, one of the requirements he has is, you know, if there's a, a intruder coming into the security perimeter, from say 200 meters away. And I need to know how fast he's moving. Is he moving towards you or is, is he running away from you? These, would, uh, these actions would actually have very, very different response uh, types. So the camera can certainly detect whether there's a person a couple hundred meters away from you, but the camera has no distance sensing capability unless a person zoom in and actually read it. There's no way for you to differentiate whether the motion of this person is actually causing any alarm. A LIDAR is a very good instrument to do exactly that. The LIDAR measures the distance from the instrument to the uh, object of detection, and it can measure the velocity of its motion, the direction and the velocity. So without any human intervention, a software can easily determine whether this object is of any harm or not. This is this is third dimension. You know, camera measures the X, Y, uh, but it doesn't know the distance. So this third dimension of the distance information is indeed uh, what provides you with the high level of confidence of many scenarios, whether it's for security or for mapping or for any other applications. Uh, uh, this is a sensor that gives you this additional dimension. And indeed, there are plenty of applications other than autonomous vehicle. It actually flourishes uh, under the autonomous vehicle umbrella, but you can understand that either it's for infrastructure or mapping or even people detection, uh, the sensors will have a vast applications uh, down uh, in the future. 
One of the things for mapping, we just talked to the CTO and co-founder of Drone Deploy, and Nick was sharing all of the different use cases that mapping has with drones. It's just going to be extremely powerful for, for farming, for agriculture in general, obviously security. A lot of those technologies, LiDAR is going to be extremely critical going forward. How do you see um, specifically with like 3D mapping, how do you see LiDAR kind of changing the way that we now can do things, especially with the rise of things like drones or uh, aerial assets? Yes. LiDAR for aerial survey and mapping and 3D mapping has been there forever. It, since uh, 1970s, uh, there are large scale aerial mapping with LiDAR to do 3D topology for a certain area in either small or large area. But all of those applications uh, remains as very high end, extremely expensive exercise. Uh, you can count down you know, the hours of operation on a real airplane is extremely high. With the onset of drones, uh, these are very low cost, uh, uh, very agile devices uh, that can go practically anywhere that we touch. Uh, so that demands a corresponding LiDAR device that is also lightweight, low cost, and highly reliable. So these are some of the requirements uh, associated with the LiDAR today. Uh, and luckily, with the uh, the drive from autonomous vehicles, uh, uh, LiDARs uh, can achieve those characteristics uh, these days with uh, uh, fairly high performance and low cost uh, corresponding to the, the drones. Uh, specifically, Septon, we actually provide a lightweight version of the drone called Sora that is very much aimed uh, for the aerial mapping uh, applications. Uh, and it can map out uh, you know, a certain area within a short amount of time, providing a high accurate uh, 3D maps, uh, either for autonomous navigation or just for general survey purpose. Anywhere that will require a three-dimensional topological structure, a LiDAR coupled with a drone application can serve a very long way uh, to getting to a point that people find is um, extremely useful. Uh, I'm actually fairly excited about the drone applications because uh, uh, this thing is something we didn't have before. People didn't have access to aerial mapping before. Now almost everybody everybody can have it. So I can imagine uh, everyday person can uh, be interested even in their sizes of their house or swimming pool all the way to the mining people trying to understand how much uh, ore has been dug up uh, uh, through an area. All of these applications can be relied on a drone to provide them very quick and accurate data. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I don't think we saw, you know, back a decade ago with a lot of these technologies was like the interplay between all of these things, right? The thing that you you couldn't see necessarily was that drones are going to be way, way cheaper. Uh, and, you know, they'll continue to be way cheaper than ever before. That in combination with LiDAR, you look at some of the use cases like for forest fires, you can send an army of drones at a forest fire. And if a bunch of them, you know, melt, it's, you could save, you know, thousands and thousands of lives just by losing a bunch of drones. Um, with things like LiDAR, the fact that you can get that in combination with the drone so close to the action on things like that or places where humans can't travel 
um, or, you know, down mountainsides or up mountains, things like that is just so exciting. Um, are there any other kind of use cases that you find really, really interesting or excited about or kind of the more famous ones? Yes, actually, uh, I, I just uh, pulled something right out of my mind, uh, which is that recently there is a earthquake at Sichuan province in China. And uh, immediately after the earthquake, they send out a whole bunch of drones uh, to survey the landscape and see how that has changed because there were 3D maps already stored before. And with that, they could quickly identify which building has collapsed to what extent, whether where is the concentration of the calamity is and how to do the rescue effort, et cetera, et cetera. These are very much touching to everybody's life. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's a significant application of uh, drone plus LIDAR. Well, and when you add on AI and machine learning and some of these things where they're extremely good at recognizing patterns and pattern matching and um, figuring out when something that's not supposed to be there is there. If we increase the places that we can go, the speed that we can do it, and then also the specificity of what it looks like. One of the things that, that Nick talked about on his episode was how back in the day, you know, a farmer could once a year get, you know, drone footage of their crops, right? But now they could do it every single day. Um, and soon, you know, you could potentially have it every hour, every minute. When you combine that with the specificity of LIDAR, you, you're talking about massive amounts of data that then can be synthesized by AI and machine learning to figure out things that, you know, would just be way too impossible to figure out just, you know, just off the cuff by a farmer in the middle of, of Utah or, or, you know, Argentina or wherever it is. That's, that's correct. Uh, you know, another example along this line is, uh, say, uh, about uh, 10, 15 years ago when LiDAR just started popping up uh, with a reasonable cost, uh, one of the big applications is to survey uh, the height of the bridges along highways in the U.S. Before that, it, the highway has to be shut down and somebody go use a ruler to measure the height of the bridge, uh, making sure there's enough clearance after years of uh, uh, heat and cold uh, seasons. Uh, so. Uh, LiDAR came in uh, a dozen years ago, and you can drive a truck uh, just at full speed without shutting down the highway and measure the, uh, the, the bridge height. So that was a great application, even though that's a very selective time period that you have to drive a truck. Imagine that nowadays you can send a drone over to all these infrastructures, not only to measure the bridge height and road conditions, uh, any sign that fell down will be known through the AI and algorithm and uh, you can know a lot of things uh, very quickly. So how how accurate is lidar in terms of you know is it the size of a of a quarter like what what kind of uh, accuracy are we looking at? And then as things are moving, what kind of accuracy? You meant you mentioned earlier that you could measure someone running and telling you what speed they're going potentially. Like what what are what's the level of uh, specificity that we can get to? Yes. Uh, so to answer that question is uh, really based on uh, how sophisticated LiDAR is and how much money you want to pay. There are very high-end survey-grade LiDAR that can render millimeter type of accuracy. That is, uh, it gets you 
you know, a quarter of an inch or better precision when you measure a person's distance or a bridge height, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for autonomous vehicle driving, you don't necessarily need that type of, type of accuracy. You rather have high reliability and low cost. And that gets you usually in the couple centimeter range. That's about an inch or so of accuracy. Uh, and that's plenty to uh, tell the distance uh, between your car and the car in front of you with an accuracy of an inch. That's actually pretty good. That's uh, far better than a human can tell. So there's a variety, a big range of LiDAR performance versus cost. Uh, it goes from millimeters uh, to centimeters. So is this going to be something like, you know, Moore's Law, where we are going to increase the specificity of LIDAR over time? Like, you know, like every year, is it going to double or something like that? Um, like, what does the future of LIDAR look like? I, I don't think in terms of accuracy and capability of measurement, it's going to be like Moore's Law. Once you get to know the distance uh, between you and the car in front of you to a, an inch or so, that's good enough. Uh, I think the, the future of the LIDAR is more about how to lower the cost so more people have it. And you just like the camera, uh, the camera started with a low resolution camera. And then as soon as it becomes a few megapixels of camera, the resolution, you hardly hear people talking about that anymore. It's already beyond what the human eye can differentiate or, or what's reasonable. So the rest is actually how to lower the cost so you can have one camera or multiple cameras on your car to give you more information. Uh, the accuracy today that LiDAR can achieve is, uh, is pretty adequate for a lot of applications. Uh, so it, the, the main competition for the future will be cost, reliability, and uh, frankly, a lot of the deployment uh, and in applications is, is going to be where the competitions are. How commercial is LiDAR going to get, do you think, over the next handful of years? I, I think uh, in the next decade or two, uh, LiDAR will be just as common as your cameras today. There are a lot of uh, reasons for that. Uh, number one reason, of course, is because of the third dimension, the distance dimension. It gives you this extra piece of data that's always critical. Uh, there's another uh, big part of it is uh, there seems to be more and more emphasis of the privacy concerns associated with cameras. And LiDAR, luckily or unluckily, does not have that issue. Uh, it does not give you the facial recognition capability. LiDAR does not measure the color. Uh, a lot of the information is resides on the physical location of the objects it measures. So it actually does not measure a lot of the privacy-related items uh, associated with people or infrastructure. So uh, that seems to be a preferred method uh, uh, to camera in many many applications. That's really interesting. Are there any downsides that you see that are potentially, um, you know, things that we need to worry about, like the, the third or fourth order effects of, of the technology? There may be. Uh, it's hard to tell at this moment. One thing I can think of is actually LiDAR is an active device. That is, uh, unlike camera, you rely on illumination, whether it's from the sun or from some lighting uh, to get you the image. If it's completely pitch dark, camera would be useless. LiDAR is different. 
LiDAR has its own illumination source. It has lasers of a specific design to get you the illumination. So it does not need any ambient light. Uh, that seems to be good uh, on one hand that, that, that you have a weather or climate resistant uh, sensor. But on the other hand, if you have too many LiDARs uh, uh, together, they actually can interfere with each other. So the downside is, uh, you know, in the supermarket, you suddenly install 200 LiDARs uh, uh, looking at people. They can actually blind each other and not to the people, but blind LiDARs each other, to each other. So there is uh, there's no more data. So there's a, a downside uh, technically on uh, installing too many LiDARs. Uh, that's a technical challenge. Uh, perhaps it can be solved uh, as LiDARs becomes more and more prevalent. Well, that's really interesting. Could that happen if there's like too many cars around or something like that, or they, or too many drones? Yes, it it could. It could. Uh, this is something that uh, uh, some kind of anti-interference design has to be implemented uh, so that you, you, you do not have that interference. For cars, it's actually fairly straightforward to implement that. In fact, if you look at our cars today, both of us, uh, when we drive, we have headlights. Uh, headlamp uh, actually when facing each other we have interferences so there are regulations of how you can shoot uh, your headlamp what's the wattage etc uh, etc et a lot of uh, things that we actually have a consensus what to do not to interfere with each other very similar implementation can be done for lidar and that because of car is such a well controlled environment uh, or controlled structure uh, you can implement something like that but if you just take LiDAR for the vast applications, whether it's for infrastructure or security or mapping, you just go there without uh, any other concerns, uh, then uh, they could interfere without you, you know, they, they will interfere uh, unexpectedly. I want to switch gears to just some of the CEO related stuff. How has it been building such a technical product and also, you know, maintaining all the responsibilities of the CEO. Is that something that, you know, you felt like you were prepared for? Or is it, has it all been uh, kind of a whirlwind? You are never prepared for your role as a CEO. I think CEO, we're, I'm here to deal with all kinds of problems uh, from technical uh, to managing people to legal, to financial. So it's a whole facet of things. I was trained as an engineer, as a scientist. Uh, so there are certain portions that's in my backyard I felt extremely comfortable with, uh, such as technical uh, or even management in the technical role. But uh, there are things uh, that uh, I was never trained and you just have to force yourself and morph into it, uh, such as financial and legal matters. So uh, I, I don't think I'll ever be prepared uh, enough uh, for the role, but this is something, uh, a place I grow into. How much time do you spend working on product versus working with your customers versus you know working on uh, just fires that pop up? I think uh, it's very hard to put a percentage on things, uh, uh, and it also evolves over time. Uh, what I have learned uh, over the SEPTON experience is actually 
building a company has uh, uh, very little to do with uh, even the product or technology itself. It's all about people. Once you have uh, the correct team in place, uh, the CEO, I myself, can render myself useless uh, even. But it's never to that extent. So the, the majority of my times, other than firefighting, uh, is actually how to build a team. It's not very specific whether to customers or to technology. It's actually building the team. So that's the major portion of time I spend, starting from hiring to uh, team building to actually resolving issues of, with people working together. Uh, that's what I see in building a company is we have this group of wonderful people working together. And that's by definition what a company is. What about building in hardware? You know, hardware is notoriously way harder, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, than software just because of the levels of complexity and supply chain issues and the myriad of things that come up. Did you feel like you, you know, you, you'd worked in hardware a ton in your career. Did you feel like there were some additional challenges that you went into knowing that, that it was going to be a little harder? Yes, uh, uh, there are plenty of challenges and much more so than software. I certainly can claim that. But on the other hand, that's really part of the fun. Uh, one of the uh, criteria uh, of people working at Septang is uh, you actually consider work, not as work, but as a hobby. Yeah. You go ahead and do that no matter what. And that's all of us, uh, myself, certainly included in here. Hardware is uh, uh, more complex and more difficult. It, has, it goes uh, everything from logistics of materials all the way to the final integration testing and integration with the software and all the intelligence associated with that. So it's really complex, uh, but that's really the fun part is you finally uh, see a complex system every single element in this system is going to have to work before uh, you can call it a product. So uh, we really certainly enjoy this process. Uh, other than the fear, we actually consider it as, as fun. What about in terms of kind of your go-to-market strategy? How do you look at, you know, your customers and working within such complex products like cars and drones and being a component of those extremely complex systems? Like, how do you think about making sure that you're serving your customers' needs? In the hardware business, especially for automobiles, uh, there are certain criteria that you have to go through, whether it's automotive uh, certification or the ISO 9000 certification for your own company. Uh, we really have to be fairly rigorous and process-oriented uh, from the get-go. This actually is a big deviation from the concept of a startup, especially a Silicon Valley startup. Uh, a lot of us uh, try just to go shoot from the hip and get things yeah. done quickly. Uh, but that is just going opposite ways uh, to the traditional and the necessary, I'd claim, automotive uh, safety process. LiDAR is actually considered, you know, given it's the eyes for the cars, is considered as a safety device, just like your tires, your brakes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we actually established a fairly rigorous process, even from the design phase, is before we even have the first product or even the first concept, we go through, you know, what's the approach we're going to take to actually arrive at a highly reliable 
product uh, in the future. This will actually take some time. You know, we are a three-year-old company. In Silicon Valley time, that's a very old company already, but we're still trying to make, you know, the first automotive qualified product. And it does take this much time and effort, starting from the beginning of the company until maybe another a year or two later on be, before we can have a fully automotive certified uh, sensor. And that's just the nature of it. Yeah, it's just a totally different, you know, there's no move fast and break things in hardware. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe in certain parts, but you have to focus so much on safety. Um, it seems like you know, from the very beginning, your company has had such a strong mission and trying to do something that's really hard. You know, uh, I think you said in the past that LiDAR technology was just nowhere near where it needed to be, specifically with regards to high performance, you know, low cost solutions. Where do you kind of feel like the market is now and your customers are now, now that you've been doing this for three years and have examples, so many examples of success you know, the company has been a finalist for a ton of innovation awards. Like, I, I'm just curious to see, like, how do you think things have changed in the past three years since you started building? I think in the automobile industry uh, specifically, there is a recognition apart from, you know, one excursion. There's a general consensus uh, that LiDAR is a absolute necessary part for level three autonomous uh, vehicles. There's also fairly, you know, I would say 95% or higher uh, consensus on the level 2.5, uh, the so-called uh, uh, ADAS uh, or uh, automatic uh, emergency braking type of applications. There's also consensus on that, uh, that LiDAR is absolutely needed. And, and also people start to realize, uh, you know, even though cameras uh, and radar can take on 99.9% of the cases. So if you drive a car and put it in an autopilot or auto autonomous mode with camera and radar only, 99.9% .9 of the time, you're going to be okay. Uh, where is LiDAR going to be used for? LiDAR is actually used for that 0.1%. So if I tell you that uh, one out of 1,000 drives that you have, you're going to get into an accident, you're probably not going to be very happy with that kind of uh, uh, car or system. Uh, in fact, uh, in, there is a uh, general understanding that uh, the first autonomous vehicle, whether it's level three or level four, has to be safer than a human driver. Otherwise, the human would not actually use it. So LiDAR is actually aimed for getting rid of that 0.1%. And don't consider that 0.1% is a very small fraction, but it is between having an autonomous vehicle or not having one. So in the automotive world, you're going to see LiDAR being deployed in the next, uh, I would say, three to five years and, uh, and becomes a norm for pretty much all the cars uh, having a higher level of safety functions in the future. All right. Any any other stuff before we get into the uh, to the lighting round here? Any stuff that that we missed or that you didn't didn't touch on? Well, there is uh, something about Septon. I'd like to mention a yeah. couple of things. Uh, uh, Septon, C E P T O N. The name itself is a fabricated word uh, from our founders. Uh, uh, the first part is certainly sept, uh, perception, part of perception. And O-N is uh, a Latin ending for uh, element, like photon, atom. So uh, septon uh, can be translated into an element of perception. 
So apparently we're doing the eyes, uh, the hardware portion, as well as uh, the uh, some software version of it uh, uh, so that we can distinguish uh, whether the environment ahead of us or behind us uh, has any obstacles uh, for us to travel through. So we actually are doing the perception for the world uh, whether it's for cars or for other applications, uh, that's where we are. At the same time, you know, we developed this micro motion technology that's associated with only uh, Septon that gets you the high reliable LiDAR platform that automobile environment calls. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much a few words about Septon. We uh, are very excited to be this one startup in Silicon Valley that actually has a real product that uh, is already in the marketplace. Uh, uh, we look forward to uh, uh, high growth in the next few years. Yeah, I love that. And that's really cool. It's, it's always fun to hear founders and how much thought they put into the naming of their company and how much you know, it, they want to impact things for you know, years and years to come. Um, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. You can build apps fast and easy on the lightning platform. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more fast and easy questions. June, are you ready? Uh, sure. What app are you using on your phone? That's the most fun. Email. Email can't be fun. You have to be the only person who thinks it's fun. Uh, yeah, actually, that's uh, more or less my only entertainment. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I have a favorite book, uh, but I don't have uh, any podcast. My favorite book is uh, is Feynman's uh, Principle of Physics. I, that is the first time we've got that one. We're definitely linking that up in the show notes. That's great. Um, do you have a favorite uh, vacation spot? Yeah, I, I certainly do. And it's in my backyard. That's your favorite vacation spot? I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's, uh, in fact, uh, last year was our 25th uh, anniversary. My wife and I discussed a lot of where to go to have our celebration. And we end up uh, choosing the backyard. Congrats! Did you did you have a uh, have a tent out there and uh, some? Uh, did you camp? No, we actually worked on cleaning the garbage from the backyard to make it pretty <laughs> together. I love that. Well, after all, I do live in uh, the beautiful Silicon Valley in Northern California. We really have the greatest weather, I believe, uh, pretty much anywhere in the world. Uh, we're not shy to compete. Uh, so, backyard is not a bad place. What are you most excited about? What technology are you most excited about going forward? I'm myself, I'm an engineer. Uh, so I felt the excitement in technology is actually all the tools available for engineers to use these days. And anywhere from mechanical design tools to electrical design tools to even architectural design tools. You basically can design a bridge or a house or an airplane all on the computer. And after you finish your design, you start cutting metal and the success rate from that first cut is well over 90%. So the, the time to development is so much shortened that you don't have to do a lot of trial errors uh, by hard labor. You just tweak with your mouse and thumb and you get to have a very final and polished design. So the excitement to me 
unlike uh, you know you have the the nice cell phones or uh, nice earphones uh, i i really enjoy all the toolings that's available for engineers to do their work these days uh, i think it will accelerate a lot of the technology development down the road and i am hoping someday ai uh, and these um, new fascinating softwares will actually create the airplanes or cars uh, by themselves uh, so that we get to enjoy the artificial creation, not only artificial intelligence, uh, but artificial creation as well. What is your best advice for a first-time CEO? Stay calm. You're going to experience a lot of uh, issues that you didn't experience before. So stay calm and solve them one by one. Last question. What is your favorite song to play on the piano in your office? It is a, a Chopin Nocturne number two. What do the rest of your employees think when you play? They never heard it. I played on a earphone. Uh, I'm not a super good player. When I was younger, I had uh, basically two dreams. I want to become an engineer or I want to become a concert pianist. Then. Later on, I chose one as my profession, which is the engineer, and the, the playing piano thing remains as a hobby. And I think I chose the right one because I finally realized that my talent does not go into music, even though I enjoy it tremendously. And uh, music from Chopin gives me uh, a lot of inspirational thought and calms me down at the same time, but it is, can never be a profession. So I actually put on my earphone to play uh, and others don't get to hear. <laughs> so that was it. June, this has been absolutely awesome. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. You've been an awesome guest. I'm so excited to follow along with Septon and what you're building. Uh, it's just remarkable stuff. And uh, yeah, excited to, uh, to talk again soon. Wonderful. Okay, you have a wonderful rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.